0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Conscious Vibe podcast,
1: where we elevate intellect through conscious dialogue
0: while exploring race, politics, business and culture. I'm Dr. Daryl L. Jones and I'm Charles D.
1: Mitchell. Charles, how you doing? DJ, you doing great. Good, man. Good, good to see, see you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. We had great, nice dinner. Dinner great dinner. Great dinner Monday night. That was good. Wasn't that it? was fantastic. Celebrating... Uh, James' birthday, yeah. which was awesome. Another, great, great fellowship. Another trip around the world. Yeah, I love it. So, got someone very special in the house. We've known each other since we were what zero. Yeah, yeah. Actually, about that, <laughs> zero think, would be close. Yeah, you came like six months later or something.
2: Six, six, seven months later. Yeah, yeah. You was. You know, you was kicking around with your pacifier. I was breaking one in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, uh, my cousin, Derek Cromwell, also hailing from Battle Creek, Michigan. Welcome to the show.
2: Man, it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, like they say on sports radio, first-time caller, <laughs> long-time listener. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, I, I say cousin, but, you know, more like brother. Uh,
2: um, yeah, yeah, he, absolutely. You couldn't
1: separate us growing up, nor was there a reason to. Um, whether it was sports, family, food, whatever it was, man, man, everything, yeah, absolutely, yeah, very pivotal in each other's development. So, uh, yeah, 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 sincerely, absolutely. So, so welcome, man. Let's start with a little bit. Let's take maybe three, four minutes if you can, because we have a lot to get to, and just tell good about you know Derek Cromwell growing up. And sort of we'll get to maybe where you are now, but let's talk about growing up in Battle Creek, Michigan, and then maybe that first trip off to
2: college. Absolutely. So, you know, like like Dee said, Battle Creek, Michigan, born and raised. We're raised by the typical uh, middle class family. Uh, My father was a factory worker. My mother was a secretary. We had a station wagon. You know, that's what we piled in for summer vacations every year. I mean, the typical, you look up middle class and that's basically what you got. You but it had panel on it too, didn't you? Man, 72 Chevy Malibu estate. With panel. <laughs> With <Wood-wood> paneling. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, again, like D said, grew up active in sports, you know, before, I think before I was 12, we were playing soccer. We were playing baseball. We were playing football. We were playing racquetball. We were playing chess, learn how to play golf. I mean, we just pretty much uh, did everything. Um, uh, through childhood uh, Kiwanis Cubs baseball in the summer. Floor hockey. How did you. How ah, did you man. Introduce the golf and Battle
1: Creek, I, I I wasn't, I never played, but you did.
2: Yeah, my dad, uh, when I was probably six or seven, had three clubs cut down to size. Wow. A driver, an iron, and a putter. Or should I say a wood, an iron, and a putter. And there was this little par nine course not far from where we live called Billy Wingo's. And I had a driving range, six, seven years old. He took me out there and taught me how to play golf. Wow, uh, interesting. Six, seven years old. Yeah. Yeah. So grew up doing that's funny, like DJ said, he did, had no interest in golf. Yeah. So played golf, um, you know, coming through high school, once I got to junior high, like the lot of football, played football from seventh grade through 10th grade, 11th grade, had an emergency app and me right before the season started. So I couldn't play ended up being in the band that year, believe it or not. Uh, uh, Got accepted at Eastern Michigan University and and quite honestly, that's where my life began because Eastern Michigan University was a total failure Uh, for a lot of other reasons. I'm sure we can hit on those topics, you know, throughout, but yeah, total failure Uh, was miserable at the college experience at that age. Wasn't ready. So So, uh, here we are.
0: I know you said we'll jump into that later, but when you say total experience, total failure, you from a standpoint of the outcome or just the experience itself
2: uh, pretty much holistic bro okay. uh the outcome I wasn't ready uh should have never went from home should have never left uh honestly <laughs> not blaming I'm saying DJ was my big brother and he went to Michigan state everything he did I looked up to is you know it's just that's just how it was. And him being at Mission State, man, I spent, man, how much time did I spend on that campus, bro? Right. Uh, kicking it with you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so one wanted to do that. One, hey, DJ's doing it. I want to do that. I wasn't ready. You know, it's not. College is awesome. College is needed. Everybody's not ready for college at 18. Yep. You know, and, and for me, that was the case. Gotcha. understand.
1: Yeah. So, okay, let's let's pick up from there. Um, man, a lot of shout-outs I could do, you know, looking back. You know, one of the things, when, when I think back, I was thinking about it, Derek, this morning. You know, if there was a crew of six, call it Willie, Greg, Shelly, <sighs> you and I, four of us went to the military. Yes. Right?
2: Yes, yes.
1: We went straight to college. What was Yeah, it?
2: I was the only one out of those. I was the only one that didn't go straight out of high school. Man, I'm gonna be honest. I had no interest in the military when I was a senior in high school. We ran recruiters out of out my house. I told them I had asthma. I, man, I told them every excuse under the book. <laughs> you I, did. I, I had. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had. I had no desire to go to the military. But yeah, four, four to crew, four to six. Yeah, spent. Matter of fact, three three of those four retired from the military. That's
1: that's Mm -hmm. absolutely right. And um, so your, your branch was the air force. Air force. Correct. Yes. So what was the impetus for you to make this wholesale mental transition to now it's time to think about the air force.
2: So at, you know what life. So again, we pick up, I'm at Eastern Michigan university. Um, Doing more partying and kicking it than studying and going to class. Uh, high school sweetheart visits off and on, and ended up getting my girlfriend pregnant. Probably the second semester that first year. Now, how does something like... And- <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 first, first DJ, let's let's, let's talk about. Let's talk about the birds and the bees. <laughs> Are we giving
0: him a lesson on the show today?
2: I I know, I know, man. So but uh so life happened, you know. So uh uh ceremoniously finished out that year, moved back home to Battle Creek. Suddenly I have uh that that was probably what the summer of eighty six. Mm-hmm. So by that August of 86 I'm a father at 19 years old.
1: Wow. Uh
2: had a, got married probably then I think that October I think it was out of responsibility. So life is moving and for, now. Man, man, life is zooming light speed. So now I'm working at a turkey chicken processing plant making three thirty-five dollars an hour, wow. and selling rainbow vacuum cleaners door-to-door, 19 years wow. old. Wow. So, you know, you, you have to take a deep look, right? Look, I do a, I do, for my job now, I do a training on self-assessment. And I tell people all the time, there's going to come a point in your time where you got to really do a self-check and look in the mirror. You can come up with a whole lot of excuses. You can come up with a whole lot of stuff and point your finger at other people. But eventually you need to look in that mirror and point at that because that's where the, that's where the barriers a lot of times come from. And man, uh, what'd you say? what you say, Charles? Sad
0: me to cut you off. It just made me think, I mean, I, 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 picked up, um, uh, the book by David Goggins, uh, can't hurt me. And, <clears> um, he shares a similar experience to where he literally had to look himself in the mirror and like get real with himself and just, Uh, yeah, he looked himself in the mirror and he just, you know, told that person in the mirror, like you're not cutting it, man. And this isn't going to, if you say exactly, this is what you've got to do and who you've got to be. And uh, they said that turned his life around.
2: Absolutely. So didn't even tell anybody. I didn't even tell DJ, went to the recruiter, told no one, my parents, my siblings, nobody. Went to the recruiter. Hey, sign me up! I got to do something better than this. Wow. And so, man, so why three why months. Three, that was in. So that was in December mm-hmm. of eighty six. By March third, I was gone.
1: And why the air force over the other branches? Dude?
2: Uh, you know, because honestly, three of those, four of those, five friends that we know, two of them went air force, and that's just uh, what I chose. Yeah. Really didn't have an interest in the Army. Uh, thought I'd have a better opportunity with the kind of stuff I wanted to do. You know, <laughs> it's funny. Recruiters are like salesmen. They, they tell you a story. I was going in to be an air traffic controller. And once I got there and raised my hand in March, oh, we sorry. That's not available anymore. Pick from one of these. Oh, wow. You know, so en- ended up being a medic, which wasn't a bad thing. Not at all. Uh, so mm-hmm. not at all. Not at all. So actually it turned out all right. Turned out all right.
1: So this is probably a a good place to to talk a little bit about you know some context because what we do want to talk about today is you know your life and what's made you who you are, but also what I call serving while black in in the right. Absolutely, our number one employer in the United States is the U.S. military. Um. Forty percent people of color, right? But we know the yep. top doesn't represent that, right? As, as we get right, look the, right. Um, right. Looking at a a survey, I believe it was actually done by the Defense Department during Trump's tenure, and one third of Black U.S. military service members experienced harassment, discrimination, or both. And that all went largely unreported because they didn't want to deal uh, with the backlash. So let me just kind of push pause right there. Mm -hmm. Say those things to you. What comes to mind?
2: It's interesting. You you said that during Trump's presidency, they did this survey. Correct. That's what you said, right? Correct. 2017. i I would venture had they done that survey during any presidency, it would probably have been the same answers yeah, yeah. um uh,
1: the the uniqueness around the Trump presidency was not the survey itself because it's a good point, it's the fact that the Defense Department refused to expose the results during his presidency. But, gotcha oh
2: yeah but yeah, yeah, so you know. And this is a conversation you and I have had several times, D. Um, the military, as far as serving while black, it's it's complicated. Again, and, and Dee, like we were we were discussing the other day, you know, some people will say, you know, I know people who joined the military after 9-11 out of patriotism. I know people who joined the military because they wanted to serve their country, that rah-rah, serve their country. And that, I have no qualms with that whatsoever. Everybody's experience is different. That's not why I joined the military. I wasn't rah rah. I'm going to be a hero. No, I needed a job to take care of my family. It was a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, do I regret serving? Absolutely not. Um, ten, ten years. ten years. Ten years. Not once have I regretted my service. But really, though, the military is just a microcosm of our society. If you look at it. Um, the biggest difference, and this is a caveat, because this is a big difference. The one thing about the military that people don't talk about is that it's a caste system. So if you are brother, Captain Darryl Jones, and Charles is Staff Sergeant Charles, there's not going to be any co-mingling. You all aren't hanging out together. Y'all ain't partners. because. Officers don't hang out with enlisted, very much frowned upon from leadership. So not only do you have to deal with racism in the military, but then you have to deal with racism, especially it's even worse for officers because they're more so isolated. Because if you're a black officer in a squad, you might be the only black officer in that squad. Very. Sure. M- well,
0: if, if DJ is the, the captain and I'm the enlisted and he's a conscientious brother who wants to try to uplift and Give me some encouragement. That's just not a part of the system. It doesn't work that way.
2: Very much. Uh, you would be doing that. Under the radar. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So then how, how does that work then? Because obviously, OK, let's talk about single. Uh, we'll use men and women. Um, and we know Difficult. marriages happen and relationships happen. Is that frowned upon,
2: too? It's frowned. It happens. But yeah, it's frowned upon. If you're uh, if you're now, you know, there are instances where enlist, like I had a friend who I went to tech school with female. We went to actually basically train at tech school together. She was enlisted, but then became an officer. Got it. Her husband was enlisted. So she, you know, they were married as as enlisted. She became an officer and went on. So there are some rules that have to be followed. They can't serve in the same squadron, different things that happen. But as far as, like, if you're uh, Captain Jones and you see Airmen or Staff Sergeant Lyle uh, out and about and you want to, hey, man, she cute. I want to get with her." That. Nah, that's, that's not looked upon very well. And not only is it not looked upon very well, it can hinder your advancement. Mm, got it. Mm. Got it, hinder you making rank
1: so so then indeed, just quickly walk us through where you were
2: stationed, okay, so training in San Antonio, Texas, Brooks Air Force Base. My first station was uh McClellan Air Force Base, Sacramento, California. then I was at yokota Air Base, Japan. It's about thirty five kilometers outside Tokyo, Fusa City. then I was at Osan Air Force Base. Alaska, about 20 miles uh, outside of Fairbanks, Alaska. And then I finished my last year at Little Rock Air Force Base here in Arkansas. And I spent, gosh, if you added up all the months, probably a year in Korea at different times, you know, two or three months at a time. I was, so I- I've heard uh, Korea
0: is an interesting country. How was that for you?
2: Different. Very interesting. Uh, honestly, the very first time I went to Korea, I, I've only been to Osan Air Base. I've never got to Seoul. Uh, so Osan Air Base in the surrounding communities. And I cannot remember the name of the little town outside Osan Air Base. But really, when I first went there, it was the first time I really felt like I was in the military. And I say that because when we landed on base, there are Patriot missile battles, all batteries all around the base. Uh, They have areas of the base where they have spy planes and different things that technically aren't there. A friend of mine accidentally walked through a wrong area, ended up face down with an M-16 in the back of his head. Uh, It was it was it was the real deal after being in California for a couple years and then going TDY to Osan, Much different experience, much different experience. But man. um, The economy, the local community was. It was like being in a tourist destination. It's really built around servicing the the, the soldiers on base. Uh, everything they do, it's it's like one big swap meet. They man, you have you can have pictures made, suits made, coats made for little or nothing, tailor made stuff. You know, um, one of the <laughs> craziest sounds. One of the best soul food restaurants I've ever been to in my life was outside Osan Air Base. Ridiculous.
1: Soul is uh, in Korea or soul is in
2: brothers? No, soul oh, food as in cornbread, ham hocks, uh, smothered pork, that kind of thing. That was my attention. outside. Okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I know, D, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so,
1: listen, uh, you do all of this, you know, all these different experiences, different bases, different people ultimately you make a decision um it's time for me to move on to a new phase of life right what got you to that decision
2: so and i and i say this a lot to people i have absolutely no problem with the military i know with all the wars that we've had going on and the different things that have been going on people frown about their children serving in the military i have a lot of people oh i don't want my kids going there but if Coming out like I, coming out of high school, not really having a direction, not really ready for college, needing some uh, growing up, I think the Air Force is a great place to start. Now, that's at a 19 year old and being told what to do, told when to eat, told when to march. That's cool. When you're 26, 27, 28, you start knowing yourself, you start developing yourself, you start becoming a man. That gets a little old. And, um, you know, I would remind folks all the time, look, bruh, I put my pants on just like you do. You know, I'll respect you. You respect me. And, you know, things happen. So I knew I was getting to the point in, in my maturity that, you know, if I stay here, um, I'm not really going to handle this well. So I did my 10, got my honorable discharge and, and moved on. So that was that was just a conscious decision for me
0: so so you you make that decision after ten years, and you made the you you mm-hmm. reference things would not have gone well for you and it it makes me mm-hmm. wonder and I was just thinking about this earlier um at what point, and maybe this happens the entire time, but I'm just curious uh, at what point does the military become political because I know wow. that politics involved in uh, just about
2: everything yeah immediately everything in the military immediately immediately. Um, honestly, from everything from your duty assignments to your making rank to uh your job evaluation, it's all political, what absolutely. Was, what was your rank upon discharge, Sergeant? Sergeant okay. E4. Yeah, so,
0: so Sergeant yeah. E4. Mm-hmm. What could have been the route had you stayed in? And, and if it made sense?
2: uh, I mean, you know, whatever is really whatever you want to be, I could, I could have made higher enlisted rank. Mm-hmm. Uh you top out at Chief Master Sergeant. Um friends of mine who I were who I was in with at that time, some retired as master sergeants. So that's E7. Uh so you know and you as you and the thing about the military, your your job responsibilities don't grow with your skill level. They grow with your rank. So just because I might be a better medic than you if you're a staff sergeant you'll still be my boss because you're a staff sergeant so it's not your your rank is not really based on your actual skill that you're doing in the field so, so
1: there uh, doesn't necessarily exist um right would you say your experience as a medic was vastly different than a soldier who was not a medic
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because, you know, um, I was in a position where really, I guess, a position of trust, because in many instances, especially once I got to Alaska, because in Alaska, I was a squadron medical element. So in other words, I was assigned to an F-16 squadron. I had a flight surgeon and myself, and we were the medical for that squadron. So when they deployed, we deployed. So many times when I was in Korea, uh, the flight surgeon would initially go, but then he would leave. Then I would be there and I would, you know, I saw patients, I prescribed, you know, a certain level of medication and did that kind of thing. So I was looked upon in a higher, as a, just a, it's a, as a Higher level of respect because of what I did and the job I had. Um, but, I mean, I'm not going to say everywhere you went, racism was rampant. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, brothers have had very successful, people of color have had very, very successful careers within the military. But there are obstacles, like, like I mean, like any job, there are obstacles. Um, you might not get promoted because of the color of your skin, your EP or your job evaluation depending on who's doing it, see how a job evaluation works is they they rate you. Then there's a signature. The signature is that guy's supervisor. So depending on who that guy's supervisor is, they may say, you know what, Uh, we think you rated him too high. You need to bump that down. But they don't have to change it. So it's all politics in that. That guy might not like black people, you know what I'm saying? Or have an issue with black people. But it's just, just, like I said, it's a microcosm of society. Um, I've lived Not only in all those places I told you I was stationed, but I've also lived in Amarillo, Texas. And where else? I think here. So all those places I live was in the military. But then I was a civilian in Little Rock and a civilian in Amarillo. And everywhere I've lived, including Battle Creek, I've experienced some form of racism, one kind or another. So it's really, yes, it's the military. Yes, there are some things that are a little different, but it's really just really a, a microcosm of what we see in society every day. Anyway, go ahead, John.
0: No. no, I was just going to ask. So, so you go in at nineteen, um, mm-hmm. and new father, you're you married, uh, starting to build that family unit. Ten years later, twenty nine. I'm assuming. Who are you? Like at that particular point, who are you as a as a as a man? as a father, as a husband, what's your family unit look like? And then what are your yeah. What are your values at that point? What is the military, what are you taking with you away from the military that you're going to now take into the world and try to create a whole new experience?
2: Man, that's a great question, Charles. And that's why I, I said that earlier, that for people who like what I was, who wasn't ready for that uh, college experience, I didn't have um, a lot of confidence. Uh, uh, public speaking was not an option at all. It would not do public speaking whatsoever, uh, to a certain extent, a mama's boy, just be real. Uh, so it made me grow up having a child, having a wife made me grow up quick. So in the military, it absolutely made me more mature. Absolutely gave me a skill that I was good at. I was a good medic. I was a very good medic. Uh it it gave me a maturity. And I guess for instance, I find in stressful situations now, people will ask me, Well, how do you do in stressful situations? Or what do you do? And my response is always, you know, I've experienced things in the military that just are horrendous that Anything you had me doing here would be in, would not even compare. You know, I've been on the side of a mountain picking up human remains from a doctor I worked for because of the plane crash He was in. Uh, I've had um, pair of rescue man parachute uh, parachute in hit the ground and break his ankle, and his foot is just hanging hanging on his ankle like a limp noodle. And you have to, and it's funny. It's funny, child, because you're cringing. And DJ, I tell you, gory movie uh, stuff like that—I didn't do them. Wimpy bro. didn't do <laughs> it, bruh. Did not do them. I mean, tell well, them I didn't do with it,
1: right? No, it's
2: crazy it wasn't to hear you
1: say this now.
2: Yeah, but it, it's funny because what happened, and it started happening in tech school. For whatever reason, during this situation, a calm would come over me. And I'd have to walk myself through. And in every one of these situations I talked about, somebody who was with me freaked out. Like I remember in tech school, the guy who was in the top of our class and I were to do a practical together on putting somebody on a backboard. This dude, top of the class, rah-rah. Man, as soon as and it's a grade as a unit. So if he messes up, we mess up. Man, this dude straight up panicked, straight up just bouncing off the wall. <laughs> I had to talk him down. Look, dude, relax. Walk through your steps. Do this, do this. We got through it. This dude broke his ankle. Foot's hanging off the, hanging off. Guy was with me. Freaked out. Dude, calm down. Get the bandage. Get the scissors. Cut his boot off. Just had to walk him through it. Plane crash, man. We, we found uh, the torso of the doctor we worked for. Still had his name patch on. Man, tough. But if we had a job, the flight surgeon we were with freaked out, jumped. We were on the we had six thousand feet side of a mountain, four o'clock in the morning, pitch black. He jumped out in the snow and goes chest deep in snow because he didn't put on his shoe because he was so amped up, so freaked out. So it's just so going through these experiences in the military. Now somebody said, "Man, we we stress it. We got this deadline, dude. Really? You know, it's just not that." Right. Stress is relative, and this that kind of stuff just yeah. don't phase me like that. Right, you know. So,
1: so, speak, so. Speaking of ankles dangling,
2: <laughs> uh,
1: growing up, sports was really yeah. difficult, right.
2: Uh, oh, absolutely.
1: That's so ankles dangling and Tacalina in the backyard, right?
2: Oh my goodness. So,
1: my question becomes: What was the role of sport in terms of making you who you are today?
2: Oh, man. Everything. A lot of it. A lot of it. Think about the um, the competition, the uh, respect. The one thing that stands out for me, D, and you, I know you remember this, playing a two-on-two against my dad and his buddy, Carl. Carl. Yeah. And every year they beat us down. Every year. I mean, and they beat, it wasn't no mercy. It wasn't, oh, these are young, these are the little boys. They they beat us down, bro. As,
0: as it should have been.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beat us down. And, and our- man, we finally broke through, man. It was like we won the NBA world title. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got we
1: got tired of getting that ass busted.
2: Oh, <laughs> man. On a daily. And, and it why wasn't, why like I said, it people wasn't.
1: People take that last shot. <laughs> 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 nah, you know what? I do remember that right in the backyard, man. Oh uh, man.
0: That's, so that's about sport. You know, it 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 either brings out the best in you or the worst, right? You know, yeah. and, and there's really no in-between. It's about you finding out who you are on the inside and, and what you're driven to do and what you're not. Yeah. Um so many great lessons coming out of sport. I just, you know, I, I relish those moments too.
2: Absolutely. And and that confidence it gives you. You know, sure. doing those things and being successful. You know, I wasn't good at every sport, but I played. You know, I was okay at baseball, but I enjoyed going on playing baseball. You know, we played so many sports. Man, it was—it just we played everything. You know? mm-hmm. But it was fortunate though that we had that exposure. Um, so that's what made us interested.
1: Yeah, you, you actually played more sports than that. I remember going to your field. Uh, your field hockey,
2: yeah. floor hockey. Yeah, floor hockey, hockey, the floor hockey games, Yeah, yeah. never. Yeah, never.
1: It's heard like it. you
2: got stick so, form, but you're playing hockey. Think of hockey, hockey on a basketball court.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's the, weep, the weep, That's that's the, that's the cheap version yeah. of yeah. hockey. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, okay. the brother ain't ice skating, so let's
0: just be brother, real. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> but that level for one of you, right? Brother's not ice skating, but. That's I not did, true, though. We'll come back to that. But Yeah, you, you know, skate? you're right. I know.
2: I know. You're right.
0: We used to ice skate. There's a huge barrier. No, I didn't ice skate. We, we did. Well, we, yeah. to, we, were yeah, to. we. Uh, Exactly. That makes sense. Well, I was yeah. in Carolina, so a little bit different. But no the barrier to entry into sports like, you know, hockey, I mean, it's just, you know, and I, I was so impressed that you. your father taught you uh, the game of golf at such an early age, you know, yeah. access to Absolutely. golf courses and equipment. All those mm-hmm. things are barriers to people getting involved in those sports. So yeah, I commend you guys. That's awesome.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He taught us. He taught us how to play chess when I was. I was. I think I was eight or nine when I learned how to play chess. You know. So, yeah. but my dad was a my dad was an ultra competitive person as well. He he was my my dad's mm-hmm. only five two, and uh, uh raised all kind of hell, and wouldn't take shit from nobody. But he he was also a wrestler. Uh, yeah, he he was a championship wrestler in high school. And that was a musician. Was a musician and just was a a alpha male. Just incredible. I mean, I remember one time, kind of playing. I challenged him in the driveway. Man, he dragged me across my face on the rocks. Said, "Try it next time, son." Oh wow! Oh yeah, he, he was making yeah. a lot of people.
0: Oh wow! So it's so funny. <laughs> DB, his brother Quan's a state champion in wrestling. Oh, you don't little, mess with wrestlers. little man. dude. Yeah, I mean Quan's probably yeah. he, he's probably five six five seven. He he fought in like a weight class of one hundred two in high school. I used to watch him wrap DB up into a pretzel almost daily, and I wanted yeah of that.
2: No, yeah, yeah. Don't mess with him. Don't mess
1: with him. You, you know, and you know, you know, D. Our family is. Probably gonna watch this.
2: And, I know, I know. I, I, I thought about that, and it's cool. I, I yeah, you know, but I'm gonna I know.
1: Go somewhere where that's cool. I might I'm do with you. Calls, but I'm cool. So you, I'm gonna ride it with you. You say typical middle class upbringing on the surface. Yeah, we had a lot of bullshit in the game too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, did. <laughs> like, we did. we did. We bullshit. did. Yeah, we did. We did. throw <laughs> one out there. Uh Um. <laughs> uh Gamma is whooping Papa's ass in the liver room. Uh, yeah, Y'all, I want to get over there. Yeah. You, you might want to make your way by. Stop yeah. through if you can. I want to bring that twenty-two under the bed because he's on one right now. It was yeah. funny. Whooping her up uh, behind, rightfully no so. Though,
2: but let's preface this, People you know. Do, and I D. I'm hooking my I'm hooking my wagon next to yours. Our grandfather was a terrible man. Let's just put it out there. My
1: great grandfather, your grandfather,
2: right? Yeah, was not a good person. Recap it on uh, folks
1: in the family, and yeah, not you know, a good person. Paying for that. Um, I've witnessed things that were crazy as hell. Uh, That outside of 112 Oakland, nobody would know. You know, I've seen one So when we heard Alice was up on that ass, probably waited about ten minutes before anybody went out. Yeah, (laughs) Uh,
2: yeah. uh, But they
1: came in with guns. I mean, the family came in with guns. That bad? Like, no, she went.
2: She went. Oh, he he was going to die that night. uh, Oh well. But
1: but he deserved. You're not. You know. As bad as you can think, you know that, that's probably you know. so. I got to, to say this. Um, and, and rest in peace, Alice Parker.
2: Um, Absolutely. Um,
1: it's easy for us to think we had a typical middle class.
2: It is right?
1: because we remember the it great
2: but And we, and and that's all we knew, and that's all we knew. Well, it isn't though,
1: because I know what I saw. Right. The point is right. we, we had things, we had healthy distractions, call it sport right. or whatever it might be, that allowed to, yeah, right? That allowed us right. to not think about those things all the time. But I think it's also right. important to think about the resilience that you develop. Like to not ignore Absolutely. those things, right?
2: And I think right. that's important. And And you know, the and the is is part is part of what we become what we've become right. Those experiences people ask, people have asked me all the time. Is there, if you could go back in time, would you change anything about your life? No, no, I wouldn't because those things happened to mold what the man I am today. Yep. Uh, it's a purpose for everything. Yep. yep. It wasn't by accident.
0: I was looking at, uh, I was looking at some of your, your, your background, your LinkedIn profile. And what struck me um, in your, post-military career, is that you, you've you developed uh, uh, a long line of roles where you've been just basically helping people. Yeah, Looks like that's a lot yeah. of what the work yeah. has been about.
2: You know, it's funny you say that, Charles, and I was actually on a call earlier and I told this story. Um, mm-hmm. I think one part of it has to do with being a medic mm-hmm. in the Air Force sure. uh, and just my job was to help people. Uh, But then part of it, too, was an experience when I was it was my last TDY. I was in South Korea. We were supposed to be there for two weeks, ended up being there for 90 days, 89 days. Uh, Flight surgeon had left. So I did a sick call in the morning for the guys. I did a sick call in the afternoon for the guys. And pretty much the rest of that time was mine every day for three months. A lot of free time on my hands. So I volunteered at the base chapel. And this particular day, we went to a monastery uh, run by Spanish nuns, and they took care of indigent Koreans, so old people. They didn't. There wasn't nursing homes. They took care of these poor indigent people who would otherwise have nowhere else to go. And this particular day, me and another guy were going to give this old guy a bath. This dude, man, he had to be 100 years old. And we we lay him down in the bathtub and he's just, he's bawling, crying, crying, crying. And the nun is standing behind us looking on and she's laughing, but she's talking to him in Korean. And he's talking back to her and she's laughing, giggling. And we're like, okay, he's crying. You're laughing. Are we hurting him? What's going on? She said, no, no, he's fine. She said he was just telling me he can't believe you all came all the way from the United States just to give him a bath. So, right. Right. I know it's funny, but for me, it was it was like, damn. So really making a difference for someone doesn't have to be this large scale operation. It could just be you. Doing a simple task for somebody to you, it might be it might seem mundane, but for them, it was life. You know what I'm saying? And that kind of lit a fire in me about serving about serving people and just ever since that's all i've ever wanted to do didn't make a lot of money doing it but at the end of the day it was really about just giving back and doing that for me
0: i saw that first job you know it just brought back a lot of memories for me i saw meals on wheels uh, absolutely one of my um really really close uh cousins growing up almost like a big sister to me and um I was in college in Greensboro, North Carolina, and she ran. She ran the Meals on Wheels program. And I've been to
2: Greensboro, by the way. All
0: right, okay. North Carolina T, maybe. Spent some time yeah, over there. Yeah,
2: a friend of mine. When I worked, you saw I worked at the Housing Authority as well. Buddy of mine, the Housing Authority. He was from there, so we were in Charlotte for a conference, and we we went down to see his family. All right, all right. He went to AT and T. He went to T and T. I mean, A and T. There you go. A and T. A and T. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, she ran that program and, uh, I mean, I I literally go over to her office and, uh, go on a few of those rides and this, it was just, uh, you know, heart moving work, right. You know, to know. Charles is life
2: changing. It's life changing, bro. I had a, I had a, so I didn't do routes regularly. I managed and recruited organizations or volunteers to do the routes, but on times where those people couldn't show up, I would go cover a route. And this one particular route I would do was a black couple. And every day I would get there, the door would be cracked. They'd know we were about the same time every day. You go in, she'd be sitting in her chair in the same spot, doing her little crocheting with with the soap operas on. The dining room table would be set, placemat set. He would be doing something in the kitchen. I would come in, put the food down. They would sit down and eat together. Thank me and they would eat together. So about three months went by. And I hadn't done that route in a while. And I went out there, knocked on the door, didn't get an answer. But the door was cracked open. So I knocked again. It was dark, didn't get an answer. So I kind of pushed through and called his name. And I heard him lightly talk. And I walked in. He was sitting in his wife's chair just with his head down. She had passed away. Oh. uh, And I didn't know it. And, man, just the life was gone. I mean, from what I had seen a few times before the vibrancy and the love of that couple who had been together probably 40 or 50 years, you know, and here I am now, three months later with a smile on my face and come in and he's just in a chair like this. And I, I put, I had tried to talk to him. He just really wasn't very talkative. to put the food down in the dark dining room, no place settings, you know? So it's just life changing when you see stuff like that.
0: That's uh, heartbreaking, man. But I got to tell you, it is, it is rewarding to make that kind of difference in people's lives. And I think that the more we all get exposed to this type of work, the work that you still do today, you know, in a different capacity, obviously, but you still change your lives. And I commend you, man. That's amazing.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that, Charles. Appreciate that.
1: I think you've convinced Charles to find an elderly man to give a bath to.
2: Uh, (laughs) Charles, if you need a reference, bro, I got you, man. I got you. Uh, I
0: don't know if I'll need a a reference because I I I might need some instruction. Well, I don't want to be yeah. around for that You can you can send the manual. <laughs> send the, send the manual. I
1: <laughs> ah, Wow. Okay, so let's, That's look, funny. let's uh let's fast forward a little bit. Um uh, let's talk to me about your role now. Uh AARP, uh, what you enjoy about your yeah. work and where you are now.
2: Yeah, so um I work for the AARP Foundation and ARP is kind of like GM. There's AARP proper, which is you see the commercials, you see the memberships, the insurance and all that. Then there's AARP Foundation. <laughs> he wants to give me a bath. He's 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 hoping. He's hoping. He's hoping.
1: <laughs> he asked me if I have my car. No, I don't. <laughs> <sighs>
2: Too funny, too funny. <laughs> so the, there's AARP proper, then there's ARP Foundation, which is more the traditional non-profit stuff. And then there's a oh uh, and I cannot remember the name of, it, but they're the money-making entity of AARP. So there's three different distinct areas. So I work under the ARP Foundation arm with a program called Senior Community Service Employment Program. It's a workforce program for low-income individuals 55 and older to help them in several ways. One, to help them get back re-engaged in the workforce, but also recognizing uh, they're not in the workforce for a reason. So providing training, providing a uh, skill development. We partner with about 40, what we call host agencies. And these are nonprofits or government entities where they have, for lack of a better term, on-the-job uh, Training. So, like for instance, say, uh, and that's why part of the title is community service. So, say your organization uh, needs a janitor, but it really doesn't have the cash flow as a not small nonprofit to hire a janitor. One of our people could go in there as a trainee and work as a janitor. We pay minimum wage $11 an hour. They do 20 hours a week. Uh, so, their job is a full time job. Part of that job is working this training assignment 20 hours a week. And the other part of their job is to do other trainings, either interview skills, either building a resume, looking for employment, that kind of thing. So we try to help them kind of ease back into permanent employment outside of our program.
0: Man, you're a good apprentice, man. I'll tell you that much. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I'm in the I'm in the recruitment. business, Yeah, right? and, I uh, understand. I. Uh, dealing with people is a thing, right?
2: Man, and, look, Charles. This is the hardest job I ever had, bro. I'm yeah, not gonna lie.
0: When you when you started talking about that, I was like, "Wow!" Like, man, what we do is hard. Like, I know that I know what you do is hard because not dealing you know, with the population that is one, not very employable in a lot of respects. Two, exactly lacking a lot of skill, right? Uh, and three, you're exactly. having to teach and train them all—all all the things that many of, of of us learned when we were. You know, going out to the workforce right. and preparing right. to look for jobs and those opportunities. Man, that's that's heavy. That's- and
2: let me and let me add a fourth one. Many of them are just looking for a hustle oh, and not really wanting a job. They want someone's going to put a little extra change in their pocket and not really go look for no job. Man, it's a struggle, bro. And I'm going to tell you, and I, and I. I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to hook my train to it. Eighty percent of my program are African-Americans. I'm not surprised by that at all. No, and man, it's like dealing with kids. It's sad. I, I I'm like, why wow, what what has happened? It used to be a time where we worked harder than anybody. Uh across the board. We did more with less than anybody. And man, I deal with people. Man, I had a lady call today, new into a host agency. Well, why are they giving me all this work, huh? What do you mean? Why are they giving you all this work? That's what you signed up for, What's to train. <laughs> yeah, man, it's a battle, bro. This hey, I, I know uh, this is the. I had
0: a, I, one of our employees was talking to uh, actually, no, I was talking to a, a cousin of mine, and uh, I was back in North Carolina this past weekend. And my cousin was in Washington, D.C., he runs an agency where they place disabled persons in. in, in Similar type program where they're they're finding jobs for them to go into and work, and they needed. They have an internal person that was working with them, and she, she came into work a couple of days, you know, the first week, and then the third day she went. Uh, these these hours don't work for me. Right. <laughs> like, oh my god. These like these hours, like you, I I thought you were gonna make your your work hours work around my schedule. I'm like, I've never heard that before.
2: And, and Man, you, you know, know how I've many heard. times I'm sorry to interrupt. You know how many times I've had to tell people this is not a volunteer opportunity. This is work. Right. You don't you don't come in and tell us when you want to come in. I you think work you the, the hours work. that are assigned to you. So,
0: so yeah, right. So, what you say, so, D? what you I say, D? Be more flexible. So my question to you <laughs> is, Derek, my question to you is, you know, you see this up close. I see this up close. Is it getting
1: is it getting better or worse? Well, we aren't a monitor. Right? I think there are segments of the population where it's getting worse. Yeah, well, we obviously have some brothers and sisters doing some wonderful things. Oh,
2: we got a bunch of brothers and sisters that yeah, are yeah. grinding. Well, absolutely.
1: In, right? The constituency you're dealing with, we do have a problem that um, we need to figure out how to get our arms around, which is why I think someone who's in the role you're in, we need you to do that. You know, we need people. Yeah. Really it's,
2: it's enjoyable work. I do enjoy it. It, it has stretched it's probably stretched my patience beyond any job I've ever had. Um, it's uh, the hard, probably the hardest job I've ever had, just because. And I'm a people person, man. I could have a conversation with anybody. And but man, whew, and then when COVID hit, right? It, it made it much tougher because everything went to Zoom. So I was having calls, and and it's tough. So. But I applaud you, Charles, for the work you do as well. But yeah, it's tough, man. Workforce—first time I've ever done workforce. Uh, I was hired because of my people skills and my my partnership, my collaboration building—that kind of thing—is why I was hired for the job. Uh, but it's tough. It's, it's tough dealing with people. I, I got the best advice from one of the ladies that hired me, like three days in. A guy called, for real, called and said. I need a new assignment because I look too good, and the women up here are hitting on me. <laughs> and my wife wants me to get a different assignment, bro. I, I can't make this stuff up, man.
0: Uh, definitely, <laughs> I believe it. I got stories you believe. I mean. Yeah, I can't make this up. Next time you're in Arizona, we'll figure that out. <laughs>
2: and, and but my boss told me, my my boss told me who was she was trained. I had only been there three, I, literally three days in, bro. She said there. Many people are on this program for a reason. And I live by that because you're right, because a lot of them are are, are unemployed or long-time unemployed for a reason. They, they didn't have the skills to, to, to maintain employment or the attitude. And then here, and I don't know if I want to go down this road, but here in the South, there's a large segment of distrust from the black community towards white employers. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not calling it right or wrong. I'm, what I'm saying is people who are our age and older, African-Americans here, at some point went to a segregated school. So they came up during a time which I didn't experience coming up in the North. DJ didn't experience coming up in the North, but they came up in a time where they couldn't go into the theater. They had to sit in the balcony. They couldn't go into the school. So they came up through those Jim Crow laws. So now, like we were trying to pilot a program to encourage people to save money. And literally had three people tell me, why should I put my money in the bank? They don't lend to us anyway. You know, so those are just additional obstacles uh, that you had we had to get past. So, you know, it's just working past those barriers, man. It's just trying, you just have to take one barrier at a time, knock them, and then throw in. Somebody might have a record, you know. Somebody might have a uh, prison, disimprison time, or whatever. That just adds even more barriers. So you know, it's it's a chore. It's hard work. It's enjoyable, especially when those who succeed. People get our job. We I celebrate them. Uh, but you know, it's a fight every day.
0: Yeah, I, I hear you. Not you know, and look, not to drag this down the wrong road either, because I'm with you. Um, you know, it, it is tough, but it is rewarding at the same time. You know, we. We do good things in this work and people get the opportunity to change their lives literally um, and, and make a difference for themselves and for their families and for their future opportunity. And so that for that, I'm grateful. And, and that's what really drives me every day to kind of continue to do the work we do. Um, and again, like I said, I commend what you're doing. It's, it's, it's hard work. We know, but we also know that it's making it's making a huge difference, particularly in our community.
1: And we have to trust that each person we encounter. Is capable of that transformation. That's exactly. Right. 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 We, we trust that, so
2: we, like we can't right. let up. Yeah. And and quite frankly, D, we can trust it. But there are some who just aren't and aren't ever right. going to be. You may find that out. And, right. You may find. And, and that's out. just that's just
1: a reality. Right. Yeah. But we have to that's go just with that trust. No doubt. So as, yep. as we
2: near the end, um, what was it, D? Do you? Yeah. Wow. Do you yeah. have any questions? Man, for, that time, that time went by fast. Is it? Wow uh you broke up just a little bit say that again for me do you have any questions for us no no man i just you know i i'm enjoying this format like i said i've i've pretty much watched i think all of them, but one or two um just a real good uh collection of just different experiences you know i mean just Mm -hmm. learning uh different things Mm -hmm. from different people uh um I found Dr. Whitaker's, uh, uh, story, man, that was a great, that was a great story. Uh, things that he's gone through. I have some thoughts on that. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, just I've learned a lot. Um, you know, just honestly being able to support my, my brother, like I can, uh, seeing him be out front like this, man. Uh, I know you used to ask this question, and I think you got some pushback on the name about the Mount Rushmore. Y'all brothers need to come up with a new name for that, because you've just stopped asking it now. Yeah. Since he challenged so, you yeah. on that, you've just stopped asking
1: yeah. it. Got and, you, you know, down. I started thinking about that. <laughs> we probably do. But are we going to rename every state that we live in and not say Arkansas anymore, not right. say Oregon oh, yeah. Right. Well, I, get I agree. Yeah. So yeah. right yeah. now, we'll say Mount Rushmore. Yeah. We'll say that. Yeah. That where you I, I don't have. Huh? Is that where you were going to go? With yeah.
2: Mount yeah. To Mount Rushmore. And uh, for me, and I know, uh, DJ, you did yours one time. I think y'all did each other's one time. And, and you know, absolutely, my life has been formed by you being my brother. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, um, absolutely looked up. You know, I didn't have a brother growing up you had no siblings and honestly i don't remember a time we weren't together probably from my 5th grade year in elementary school yeah on that we weren't together at for something every day it, uh, absolutely.
1: and when it came to sports it was like i'm playing first base you're playing second base we're gonna man,
2: we, we, I that we, out. we were yeah I mean, yeah, yeah we I'm were in training camp
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Figure that
2: out. Yeah, so, too. you know, so for me and, uh, you know, for me and then, you know, we kind of lost touch for a while because you were you were head deep into your career. I was abroad, you know, in the military. Mm-hmm. So to be able to come back now at this age, more mature, but still have that same connection and see the things that you guys are doing. And, man, that, that makes me proud. And I'm glad to see this. And I've enjoyed every minute of it.
0: It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Derek, it's a pleasure. I'm I'm grateful. I, you know, I, I I get a window into DJ's world and his uh, growing up and his life when I get to meet people like you. So I'm hoping we can stay in touch and I look forward to getting to know you in person, spending some time together, maybe in Arizona.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Plan to come out. Actually, actually had a ticket bought to come out there. COVID. When was that? Last year, November and COVID shut down everything. So we had that we had to cancel it. So, so I look forward but, to it. Yeah.
1: Well, hey, thank you for coming, brother. You know I love you to death. Um, Absolutely, brother. Hopefully you'll be back out here soon, or back here soon, and uh, we can all three connect, break bread, and on the golf course, whatever it is.
2: Yeah, maybe we can get Charles out on the golf course. A couple oh, well, days in a oh row. you can't expect. <laughs> nah, no, no, no. You can get something to eat. You know, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta get a real bite like, first. I, I what I is that, gotta, he'll be in the clubhouse, D, at the at the counter getting a, getting a BLT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: man but uh you know sooner (laughs) than later and you know we didn't get a chance to talk about your family um send my best to your family absolutely Absolutely.
2: yeah absolutely man love my family got five charles believe it or not five beautiful daughters
0: oh that's awesome man uh
2: yeah uh nine grandkids yeah oh wow beautiful wife uh, so man, life is good. I have no complaints, man. Uh, had a um, health wise, had a reckoning for myself about a little over a year ago. DJ and I talked about it extensively. So, man, things are good, man. Loving it, you know. Looking for the future, looking at some maybe some possible next opportunities. We'll see what happens and we go from there. All right. But definitely look forward to coming out there and seeing you guys in person for sure. All right, well, we love to have you. All right, love you, brother. Love you too, cuz. Charles, nice to meet you, brother, man. It's a pleasure, Derek. Be welcome. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family, bro. Appreciate that. And thank you for joining us. All right. It's not just
0: vibe. Peace.
1: Thank you for joining us. And check
0: us out on tcvpodcast.com.